Hello everyone. Before we start today's podcast, some exciting news for you. You can experience the Inside Politics podcast live in Dublin on May 16th when Hugh Linehan, Jennifer Bray and I will be joined by Cliff Young of Ipsos, one of America's top pollsters, to talk about the US election, our own local and European elections and much more. It's a breakfast event kicking off at 8am in Trinity College. If you'd like to attend, you can get tickets at irishtimes.com forward slash events. That's irishtimes.com forward slash events. I hope we see lots of you there. It's Wednesday, January the 3rd, and you're very welcome to the first 2018 edition of the Inside Politics podcast from the Irish Times. I'm Hugh Linehan. The political classes are still curled up asleep in their cosy burrows for the moment, but here in the mainstream media, we have pages to fill and deadlines to meet. And today I was joined by Simon Carswell and Fia Kelly, who've been talking to a number of leading politicians over the last few days. And we talked about what the challenges, opportunities and possible pitfalls which the next 12 months are likely to bring for a number of those key figures, including the soon-to-be-anointed new Sinn Féin leader Mary Lou MacDonald, Fianna Fáil's Micheál Martin and also Fine Gael's housing minister Owen Murphy. Fia Kelly, why do we run so many interviews with uh, leaders of political parties and ministers over the Christmas period? Uh, it's a long-standing tradition at this stage, Hugh, of uh, political journalism um, because basically nothing much news-wise happens over Christmas. It's a gaping vacuum yeah, of newspa- three weeks or so. Newspapers and bulletins need to be filled. Um, ministers at the end of the year are open to unburdening themselves with their thoughts and the year just passed and perhaps the year to come. It suits everybody, basically. So is there a particular type of style or rhythm to the Christmas interview that would be different from a political interview at some other time of the year? They're they're the same. I think the only difference is that the minister basically clears their diary for a couple of hours on a day before Christmas, Christmas week, and a couple of journalists will come in and out almost like speed dating and get their 45 minutes with with said minister or not. Uh, You know, as many people are running around town doing their Christmas shopping, in the lead to Christmas, Paul Corps are running around government departments with tapes, putting them on their noses and banking away and filing off various stories they've come across. But it's actually a very worthwhile exercise because at times, because at, there, are, there are some exceptions to the rule. So occasionally one minister will do an interview at Christmas and they will become the controversy of the silent period. So last year, Regina Doherty, we did an interview with her in which she slagged off her constituency colleague, Helen McEntee, and said, oh, she's a lovely person. We got on famously, yada, yada, yada. She also had some choice things to say about a possible Sinn Féin coalition. That became a bit of a minor stir, so Regina Doherty decided not to do interviews this year. So it depends on the, on the minister. But it's generally a very um, decent way of, of doing business. The Taoiseach, on top of that, usually does a roundtable. So the Taoiseach will do, a, uh, I suppose, a, a, a wider press conference, if you like, but it's not a press conference per se. It's a much more discursive with setting. A, with a selection of political with correspondents a, with from the a, various yeah, media basically with, It's usually with the political editors of every organisation. And as you've seen, or maybe people have seen over the last couple of weeks, it, it provides ample copy to, to fill the papers. Simon, you've been dragged into this arcane process this year. You interviewed um, Kieran Cannon, Junior Minister, but also the uh, Housing Minister, Owen Murphy, who's sort of at the eye of one of the storms mm-hmm. faced by the government at the moment. Yeah, um, I also think it's kind of a time for ministers to be reflective of the year that's passed and they can be a little bit more open at times, I think, as they're looking back over the course of the year. And I think if you're looking at someone like Owen Murphy, particularly what he's done as housing minister, I mean, it's such a huge brief he has. And it's the biggest challenge facing the government, I would say, at the moment is the housing crisis and the homelessness crisis. So to interview him at the end of the year to look back in the, some of the measures he's introduced, and I, I, in particular for his brief, like if you look at some of the things he's had to introduce, 
over the year uh, and the different areas he's having to introduce measures in, you know, like things like the affordable home scheme, aimed at low-income households, new guidelines on apartments, shared accommodation for young professionals, fast-track planning, exemptions from switching to commercial to residential, all this list of things that he's done. It's interesting to take a few steps back and say, well, is this working? And I think in this brief in particular, it's not because it's so vast, the challenges that he's facing. You know, if you look at the number of houses that needs to be built, and this is the key figure that everyone's looking to, depending on who you talk to, whether it's CSRI or Davies Stockbrokers or the housing agency, it's anywhere from kind of 25,000 right up to 50,000, and we're nowhere near that figure. So that's why all these individual measures in the, some of their parts, it's it's significant in that, yes, he's introducing all these things, but it's not nearly enough. And, and what did you make of his overall response? I ask, I mean, partly because he was on our podcast when we were up with the Fine Gael, uh, uh, Party, Party Conference um, a few weeks back. And talking to him afterwards, he talked about how he was kind of getting his feet under the desk in the summer and he was trying to read himself into the brief. But all of a sudden, things were already being thrown at him and not just housing, you know, all kinds of other, you know, problematic things, you know, that, that, that fall under this department. What's your sense of how strongly he now looks in control of the brief? Well, I think he's a very clear understanding of what he has to do. But uh, I think he himself recognises that it's a huge task because he mentions that, you know, the thing he needs most is time uh, Mm. to fix this. Like he has, he says he has all the resources. He says he has the various powers he needs to introduce the measures he needs to introduce. But it just takes, it's going to take time. And that's the problem with this housing crisis is that, you know, houses weren't built for a very long period of time, almost a decade. And not only do we have to build a certain amount of houses every year, but there's a huge lag, a huge catch-up that needs to be done. And I think Owen Murphy recognised this and effectively has said it, that he just needs the time to do it. And And he's the fourth minister in four years, of course. It's extraordinary when you think about it. Four ministers in four years, and maybe that's part of the problem, but he inherited a lot of the plan that Simon Coveney had, his predecessor as Minister for Housing. But you mentioned there about the other challenges he has. I mean, he took over on the day the Grenfell fire in London and uh, building uh, fire safety regulations falls under his brief as well. If you look at the following month, he had the water crisis up in Louth and Mead with that burst water mains and 70,000 homes being cut off. So he's had, he's really had a firestorm since he took over as minister. And in many respects, it's probably one of the more interesting ministries and and portfolios at the moment to see how, how, um, how that particular incumbent, particular incumbent is faring. But it's a huge challenge. And I think, I was kind of just blown away just the extent of some of the some of the things that he's had to do and some of the some of the measures that he's introduced. But as I say, it's going to require a huge amount of work, and I think far more money than than they're throwing at it. And what are his chances of actually having a long tenure in that job, Vic? And what's what lies ahead in twenty eighteen? I think he's going to get at least another year and a half before we're going to, we will have an election. But reading Simon's interview, I was struck by oh, Murphy saying he wants to stay there to complete the job. Simon Coveney said the same thing, and then left. At the first opportunity, effectively. So I think it'll be really telling if Murphy actually decides to stay the course if Fine Gael get back into government, which is a big if. So if we have an election, maybe late 2018, early 2019, you know, and, and Leo Varadkar comes in, if Murphy stays there, you know, you would have to take your hat off to him because it's not an easy gig and it's quite quickly, you know, developing the reputation. It's the new Angola, it's the new Department of Health that... If you speak to even opposition politicians, they say, oh, well, you know, the public have almost factored in that health will never be fixed. It's an ongoing crisis. They've already kind of, that's the back of their minds when they bring up political issues with them. But health is, or sorry, excuse me, housing is now the sharpest political issue there is because 
people anticipate that or wanted to be fixed and they think that it's something that can be fixed and they're looking to But, but they may think it. that but what Simon says right is that this is a long-term problem oh, that's going to require long-term solutions. So I mean we've heard quite a lot and in fact even over the last few days that that if the government were to fall or if Fianna Fáil were finally were, were to decide that mm. it was time for the confidence and supply uh, arrangement to come to an end they would prefer that it be on the issue of housing. Mm. But if we have an election on the issue of housing now it's barely got underway with whatever yeah, these plans I, I, are. I did hear that those and I, I one Fianna Fáil spokesperson I think it was Barry Cowan or someone else said we want to see progress within the next year so they're giving them what looks like some rope but not too much and it's probably too much to ask for the crisis to be solved one year because it won't be it'll be an issue for this government and next and most people acknowledge that and, but and how do you define what ha- progress is? You would define it by housing output I would imagine that if there's figures that they work towards the end of the year saying the government haven't reached their own targets for housing construction then the opposition can say, well, your plan isn't working and it's time for a new plan. It's time for more money directly going from the state for house, house building. So that is the quite the most tangible, I suppose, uh, measurement that you could use. And if, you know, if house prices keep increasing at such uh, a steep rate as they are now, then the ar- argument can be made you're not doing enough to increase supply. So there are measurements by which you could say, OK, now is the time to challenge this. But I think he's still got a year even... You know, Fianna Fáil will say as well publicly that this isn't going to be fixed overnight, but we think the remedies that are in place should be given some time because you cannot forget that a lot of the remedies that were put in place in the budget were sought by Fianna Fáil. You know, they wanted this kind of new semi-state to start financing building houses. They got it. They wanted a number of other measures that Owen Murphy actually provided to them in the budget. And I remember speaking to people in Fine Gael that evening. They're like, how did Fianna Fáil oppose this? How do they try and bring it down? So they're kind of tied in one respect in that the policy alignment between Fianna Fáil and Fine Gael is there, but that's not to say they'll find some excuse. And to was there any sense there, so. in your interview with Owen Murphy, uh, Simon, I mean, number one, that, you know, he's responsible for the issue, which the next election will quite possibly be the, one of the main issues that it's fought on. I think that's that goes without saying. But also, is there a political division on that? I mean, Felix just saying there isn't really a political division between Fianna Fáil and Fine Gael on this. Is there a, is there a, 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 a clearly definable one between, say, them and Sinn Féin? I, well, I don't think there's a huge political division between the two parties and what needs to be done. I mean, the problem, this politically, the housing is a nightmare, really, when you think about it, because the extent, the run-in time required to build, to fix the problem, you need bricks and mortar, and that takes time. I've written a lot about housing the last couple of months and I spoke to uh, Michael Stanley at Cairn Homes and they're one of the more prolific builders at the moment. Um, they're publicly quoted now and they have the capital to do all the building that they're planning to do. And he made the point, you know, if you look at it, it takes anything that's been built now or starting to be built now, it's going to be at least 18 months before you have people turning keys and doors and opening and walking in and living in them. Um, so this is a long run in time. And if you look at what's, you know, if you did your crane count, Owen Murphy t- took great pride in the fact that we're now switching between between there's more residential being built than commercial. But Karen Holmes, um, uh, ch- chairman, uh, chief, chief executive, was making the point that if you look at what's being built now, there's uh, office space for 70,000 people being built in Dublin, yet there's only uh, apartment and residential living for 2,000 people. That is a huge mismatch. And I think politically, to try and fix this problem, it's not going to happen anytime soon. And whoever is the next finance um, housing minister is going to have to mm. deal with the same problem. And it's going to take a huge amount of time to fix it. Owen Murphy 
and uh, Pascal Donoghue and Leo Varadkar and a number of other government politicians who were interviewed over the course of Christmas have all been promoted in the last 12 months. They're all in positions of greater seniority than they than they were 12 months ago, which must be very nice for them. And uh, they've been kind of getting to grips with their new jobs. I was quite taken, uh, Fiac, over the course of the Christmas by a lot of political columnists, Conor Brady in the Sunday Times, um, various columnists in the Irish Times, basically saying that they've had a decent enough start in the six months, seven months since Leo Varadkar became Taoiseach. And even Conor Brady, former editor of this newspaper, is suggesting that uh, that this government was now somewhat more active than its predecessor and Kenny had been in terms of a legislative agenda. Is, is that is that what you're saying? I think it's a fair point and there is a lot of activity now and I think it's, I think Noel Whelan was one of our columnists made a similar point that the fact that the leadership issue had been settled within Fine Gael, that it allowed the government to focus on other matters. So, you know, people weren't as consumed with the internal politics of Fine Gael. They can now focus on the government and they have a shared interest in seeing this government be re-elected. So I think that is a fair point. We are seeing a lot more of activity it's around the government. It's not just spin and it's PR, which really I did see spin. one or two other people suggesting. There is, look, it's always going to be a mix of both. But there are some concrete achievements, like, you know, the budget, the Brexit plan. There are various things that have been dealt with and will be dealt with over the next few months that the government can point to and say, look, this is working. You know, this this can work. And I think that was a main... I think when Varadkar came in, they were aware of the criticisms that new politics wasn't working and they were aware that people said, you know, nothing was happening, nothing was getting true. The doll was, you know, basically being used as a situation where you could fob opposition bills off by letting him through to the next stage and not doing anything about it. But I think there is a definite move away from that now to taking on more proposals and trying to get through trying getting them through the House. I think one of the clear things though that's seen from those 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 politicians you mentioned as being promoted, they've stuck very n- narrowly to their briefs as well. And I think that stood to them and it's performed very strongly in particular if you look at what how Simon Coveney did with the Brexit talks and when uh, it was required a particular kind of good cop, bad cop thing going on between him and the Taoiseach, I think it worked very well in terms of the negotiations. And again, if you look at what uh, Owen Murphy has done in housing, he's stuck very, very um very narrowly to his brief and, and and really applied his focus to it uh, like the other ministers have. And uh, Pat Leahy, who isn't here with us today, but he interviewed Pascal Donoghue. Um, it's kind of fascinating, exactly the opposite, I think, of what most people would think would make a good headline. Steady, unspectacular, dull, boring Pascal Donoghue's magic mediocrity. There's a kind of interesting point in that that many critics have said when looking at Irish politics and indeed the Irish economy is that it's got this kind of bipolar disorder that's been going on forever that it's either it's either boom or bust mm-hmm. and there's never sort of a, a steady modest rate mm-hmm. of growth and that seems to be what Pascal Donoghue is is aiming to get yeah and it was interesting not just what Pascal Donoghue said in to you but what the teacher said in his round table when he was dampening down expectations ahead of this final budget saying you know we may have money to do you know big tax cuts such as, you know, taking 1% off the rate of USC and reducing the threshold at which people enter the higher tax bracket by 1%. But we may not want to do that because we don't want to risk overheating the economy. So I think they're very conscious of that. And I suspect from what we are seeing in the in the interviews over Christmas, reading the tea leaves, perhaps this is going to be a theme of the next six, seven months as we come into this budget that's going to have 3 billion euro to spend that perhaps for Radker and Dunhu will make a virtue out of we are different politicians. We are not going to allow the country to go back to that boom and bust cycle. Therefore, we have this money, but we're not going to use it all because we think the economy is overheating. Now, interestingly, that's open for debate because Chris Johns in our own paper over Christmas strongly, you know, 
took that to task and said the economy actually isn't overheating and Brendan Howland picked up on those comments and said, you know, this idea that Farage is calling for pay restraint as well doesn't stack up. But it's a mark of differentiation that Fine Gael, I think, will seek to exploit in the next year. And it's, it's, it, I find it interesting also because in a way it's a traditional Fine Gael position, uh, a sort of, mm. you know, fiscal modesty, uh, don't, you know, don't go splurging. Mm. And it's a, it's a thing which has stood very badly to them electorally mm. in the past, in 1977, well, the thing in is, 1997. Yeah, well, the thing is whether they can withstand the pressure that will come on them in the months ahead to use this budget to find a lot of the conference supply deal to basically throw money at every problem you, you, you would have. So, like, it commits the government to spending all that $3 billion on a two-to-one basis between spending and tax cuts, as we know. So they may want to, you know, hold some in reserve, but Fianna Fáil might not let them. So where does that leave us? Do they precipitate a row over the final budget by saying, we do not want to spend all this money because we think the economy is overheating. Those guys are reckless. They're going to bring us back to boom and bust. Therefore, let's put our different plans to people. And Michal Martin, who you interviewed, um, mm. all has, has made a point of saying we're not the boom and bust party anymore mm. over the last three years or so. So it can put them in a slightly difficult place. It does, because they know that Michal Martin's main issue with the government is that public services are not what they should be, that he is not changing his tack from the last election where he believes he increased his vote share and his seat share on the basis that public services were left, were found wanting. So they know the line of attack from Fianna Fáil is going to be we need to spend more money and we need to spend more money on issues like health and housing. They're not going to dispute it, but you can see them tallying it with we don't need to put all this money into the economy now. And that's what I found interesting about the Christmas interviews that we saw a kind of concerted position from Varadkar and Dunhu and you just kind of wonder how that's going to play out in the coming months. Because if we're coming to the end of this conference supply deal, which we are, there has to be some point of difference between the two parties if they're going to go to the country. You can't, I would think, if we're going to have an election in late 2018, early 2019, have the two main parties going to the country having agreed a budget that both of them think is great. So what's the difference? Why would I vote for you over the other guy? Although there are interesting um, numbers underlying the, 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 the poll figures. The poll figures have been very interesting in, in themselves over the last month or so, Simon, because they do appear to show that the Varadkar bounce, which some people anticipated might happen a bit quicker maybe in the, in the mm-hmm. autumn, really did see, we did seem to see that happening in December in polls in a number of, of different newspapers. I think that was a direct consequence, though, of, of his performance in the Brexit negotiations. Um, I mean, clearly the public responded to that. And I think... I think uh, it's, that that's fair. I think um, I think he performed very very well, and I think the figures really reflected that. And um, um, I, th- I think he he put in a very good performance. I was looking discussion. at one poll over Christmas, which I thought was interesting. It was only one. One thing it did show was that Fine Gael and Sinn Fein were well ahead of Fianna Fáil in support among younger voters, mm. which I thought kind of must raise a red flag for Michal Martin, especially with a new young Sinn Fein leader on the way. I think it must be a concern. It kind of raises questions as to when Michal Martin will decide whether it's it's time to um, pull the agreement and, and to, to go to the people. The interesting thing I found, it goes back to but those particular findings. We now have three polls. Our Ipsos MRBI for ourselves, BNA for the Sunday Times, and you had Ireland Thinks for the Daily Mail basically showing a similar pattern that mm. we had Fine Gael taking quite a, a dramatic jump, but that was poll, the polling day, the day of that poll was today the Brexit talks but the rest of them have shown Fine Gael consolidating around the mid-30s low to mid-30s 33 Fianna Fáil dropping back a couple of points but the interesting thing I found about what you said about the younger voters kind of gravitating towards Fine Gael and Sinn Féin and we discussed this before on a podcast before Christmas is that the youth issues that I think you argued at the time will galvanise the youthquake the, the youthquake which is going to focus on issues like housing and if 
Micheál Martin wants to make an election about housing, but young people aren't voting for him or going towards him, that's extremely difficult, I would think. You know, housing is primarily an issue for people below the age of 45. Sure. And if those voters are not, at the moment, disposed towards Micheál Martin, as we've seen in numerous polls, numerous polls, how does he then turn them around? How does he turn that ship around? That's going to be fascinating. That If he can, as a, a politician who is now going to be the oldest party leader, aside from Brendan Howland, maybe, um, make housing such a central issue of Irish politics that he can bring those young voters towards Fianna Fáil, a party that's going to be at the centre of controversy over the split opinions within it over the uh, abortion referendum. You know, which Mi- also may be a contributory yeah, factor to that. To Micheál that Martin himself has said that the, pro- the party is probably on balance pro-life. Um, I would think that the way it's shaping up that Fine Gael are going to... Well, Fine Gael as an entity, like if you take the headcount of TDs, will be more liberal than Fianna Fáil. It's going to be a really interesting challenge for Micheál Martin. It's going to be fascinating to see how he deals with it. Well, I think from a housing perspective, if you're, if you're Micheál Martin and if you're Fianna Fáil, you'd want to push out the possibility of election as far as possible because um, the difficulties with trying to fix this problem are so medium to long term that the last thing you'd want is to, um, you'd want Fine Gael to own the problem for mm. a longer period mm. um, so that they're left holding the can yeah. when it doesn't work out in the next but year. But for Fianna Fáil, I mean, if, if, if what Fick and that particular opinion poll is saying is correct, for Fianna Fáil to win back some of those younger voters, they'd need to be offering something different, wouldn't they? Something more concrete, something, and something which might make the matters worse because one of the criticisms of housing policy over the last five or six years is it changes every 18 months and so there's no certainty for the building industry and you've written about this as well, I think so. Well, I think you're going to see something like promises that we saw Fianna Fáil float for a time there is to, to take VAT, uh, uh, knock VAT, abolish VAT for, for builders and you see short-term measures that were introduced in, in the run-up to the, the last crash and that's the risk is that politically there could be all sorts of... Um, carrots dangled out there to mm. encourage uh, quick fixes and to encourage short-term uh, developments uh, and I think that would be a bad thing politically um, but that again that shows the pressure that Fine Gael will be trying to resist is mm. to they don't want those kind of things they want kind of slow measures that will be, be productive fair, To be fair to Fine Gael they floated the exact same policy <coughs> only last year which is reducing the VAT rate to 9% so I don't really buy Owen Murphy and Pascal Dunn who have been holier than they on this because they were part of the negotiation team that put that paper forward in government formation talks. They're, they're not their excuse, their defence now as well as different times and marks a different position, but they were in the same position as Fianna Fáil were this summer, but 18 months ago. I think perhaps where we could see Fianna Fáil maybe being a bit different is what Simon says, trying to engineer a way of having more direct state involvement in house building, mm. because that would, you know, you have seen this charge that Fine Gael are ideologically opposed to state intervention in the housing sector. And if Fianna Fáil are going to follow down that line, that is something they could do. And I think, to be fair to them, maybe it was a bit unfair to saying there isn't much difference between the two parties. There isn't really. But Fianna Fáil will probably talk about greater state involvement in the housing and sector. And that raises then the, the, the question of them being outflanked to some degree on the left by Sinn Féin, who one presumes will propose a more aggressive mm. state intervention in the market. And then the question of what kind of a government that might arise out of I was looking at a poll of polls of the mm. ones which, which you've mentioned there, uh, which posited were they correct and were there to be an election straight away, uh, a new doll which would have uh, substantially increased Fine Gael Parliamentary Party up to about 70 seats or so, a very slight increase for Fianna Fáil, uh, a bit of an increase for Sinn Féin, mm. uh, basically almost parity 
between Sinn Féin, Fianna Fáil combined and Fine Gael on the other side, which of course raises that thorny question which you did indeed put to mm. the Fianna Fáil leader, Micheál Martin, uh, about uh, coalition with Sinn Féin. Um, I've got to ask this one question. You've already fagged about Sinn Féin numerous times. Can you ever see yourself serving in government, in a government of Sinn Féin? Um, can I see myself? I can't. Yeah, yeah. Never, in any position. Look, I'm not saying never. Uh, That's it, no, don't. <laughs> no, sorry, I mean... Yeah. Um, I'm not living to 100, like, yeah. um, you know, so uh, what I'm simply saying is I don't see it. Yeah. You tricked him into that really fake, didn't you? Um, and and then you then you ran away very quickly. No, I didn't want to 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 beat Michal Martin over the head with that question because he's he, but he lives on wheat grass and fresh fruit. He is going to live to hundred. Yeah, possibly someone said that. Yeah, but he he is repeatedly ruled out Sinn Fein as a coalition partner after the next election. I believe him that he doesn't want to do it. But I asked the question: Can you ever see yourself personally serving in a government with Sinn Fein? And you saw you heard his. And she said, you know, I can't say never, you know. I took mm. that to mean, not the next time, but possibly a time thereafter. When he wouldn't probably be leader anyway. But the funny thing was, he said, I have to, I asked him, you know, do you have the hunger to be teacher? Because he spoke about Albert Reynolds being a modest man, yet had the hunger to be teacher and, you know, acted upon that hunger and got what he wanted. And he said, yes, I have the hunger and the patience. So he seemed to be suggesting, and I was speaking to a TD who'd be very friendly with him after, that just because he may lose out the next time doesn't mean that, he's going to step down as leader. But then I was speaking to someone else in the parliamentary party said, do you really think that if he doesn't get it next time, the party will wear Fianna, Fianna Fáil, Simon, couldn't bear a leader to serve two parliamentary terms without being Taoiseach. I mean, you know, one is one is unprecedented enough. Yeah, well, I think this is his, the, next, the, the next election is his last chance, really, isn't it? Mm. So I think that's why he's been so cautious in answering Fiek's question about coalition with Sinn Féin. He has to be. Um, mm. I think it is a real risk for Fianna Fáil, though, as Fiek was pointing out. If the young vote is migrating away from your party and the issues on which it's migrating over, uh, you know, are, are your your hold kind of counter views as to what that particular demographic is interested in, I think that's a massive pressure for Fianna, for mm. Fianna Fáil and Micheál Martin. And it must be a huge personal pressure on him as well mm. coming into the you know, the prospect of an election in the next year to year and a half. I think I think we should not get carried away with the policy scene over Christmas. I think Simon is right that it's hugely influenced by the Brexit um uh, negotiations a week or two before Christmas but I would kind of wait and see where we are in March we now have seen three polls I'm assuming there'll be a Red Sea sometime after Christmas we'll see where they are as well but whether it tightens somewhat you know was it just a Brexit issue or is the economy is improving you know, people have more money to spend you talk to TDs around the country they say yes there is still there are still problems but if you're in towns that you were in 18 months ago there is a distinct feel of uplift and is that feeding mm. into this Varadkar bounce as well so you know I wouldn't quite write Fianna Fáil off yet but there is a, a view in Fine Gael that they believe they're doing very well before our poll at start of December was the first one to really go to show this gap opening up and you know they said well we, we're, we're, we, we have believed this is happening and you guys have been too slow to catch up with it their concern is that they will be in a position to form a government, but their concern is that they will be faced by a competing block of Fianna Fáil, Sinn Féin, and perhaps the Labour Party. And Michal Martin, I think his reticence to talk about Sinn Féin is born of two things. One, that he just dislikes the party from his time dealing with them as Minister of Foreign Affairs. He, I think his concerns are genuine, but two, he knows that it's absolutely toxic to the middle classes, that if he is in any way seen to flirt with Sinn Féin, that you are going to drive middle class votes into the arms of Fine Gael. 
just to go back to the point that Fake made a little bit earlier, the, you know, the idea of Fine Gael not they're not seen as the party that does social housing or public housing. I think that's changing. One of the things that came across in the Owen Murphy interview was that they actually he said that the, the party is getting back into the business of providing public housing, be it through local authorities or housing mm-hmm. associations. That's the Fianna Fáil charge. Right? Yeah, and I think th- I think they're responding to that. I think Fine Gael are certainly responding to that. Like if you look at long term again, this is going back to what we were talking about earlier. Owen Murphy sees himself in this brief for a long period. He, he this kind of legacy of handing over the housing mm-hmm. brief to whoever comes after him that he can hand over a kind of sustainable market or a functioning market we have a dysfunctional market at the moment so he sees himself 25,000 bil- well, state it's building it's 25, very much like this idea of Farag being a counterintuitive Fine Gael leader like he's not what you expect from a Fine Gael leader so if they can the public seem to be there already like oh this is not what we expect from this guy you know he's he's young but he's tough he's not what Enda Kenny was in Europe he's you know standing up for Ireland if he then can convince the public as, as Simon says you know you wouldn't expect us to do this stuff but we are doing it that would be a hugely kind of and what does that mean for the because we focus very much on Fianna Fáil Fine Gael here but for Sinn Féin for example um, that has been very much their attack and also for the attack of, of Labour and the smaller parties of the left as well is that this is a uh, Irish version of a Conservative government that it's ideologically committed to the, the free market over state intervention and that that uh, colours its approach to housing among other things helped as well but for housing housing, housing in, in this instance Well I think it takes some ground from Sinn Féin and I think Fine Gael recognise this you know the, again the younger vote the under 40 45s looking at housing as being the kind of critical issue for them if you have a, a, a government party like Fine Gael saying well we are actually going to start building we need to start building more public and social housing it's actually affordable housing is what really mm. needs to be built as sure. um, so we need different yeah, if, you, if, you, if you speak to if you speak to the <coughs> say the problem okay, you know homelessness is a problem social housing problem the problem is affordable homes for people earning average salaries that is the problem Sure, but the question of whether they should be delivered to a greater extent by the state or by state-supported organisations of one sort or another. Yeah, and when you have Fine Gael getting into that discussion and saying, "Yeah, we agree. We think it is. It's going to take. It's going to take some votes away from the other parties." I think. Do you think Sinn Féin will get a Mary Lou Macdonald bun? I think they will, but it'll be very, very gradual. I don't think that we're going to see Sinn Féin, um, you know, thunder past the thirty-seat mark at the next election. There are twenty-three, I think. Now, it'll be very gradual. I think. You know, the IRA thing will still stick to her for a while. It will take a year for that change to really kind of get a hold of people's minds. Like, she's not a brand new politician, don't forget. That Faradka was basically a, a kind of second rank minister, if we take that the Minister of Finance is the senior minister, the Minister of Public Expenditure, Records, Minister for Health, Minister for Social Protection. So we had the novelty to a certain extent of the new. MacDonald has, you know, clearly been the leader in waiting for quite some time now. She takes leaders' questions on a Thursday. She's a very prominent position in the news every night. She's prominent in all committees. I think it will have a kind of an effect for them, but I don't foresee a dramatic one immediately anyway. Like, they will be... Sinn Féin people are quite, you know, they're open about that. They say, look, it's not going to be a massive improvement. If we can get towards 30 seats or near to that mark, we'll be doing quite well. And they see Mary Lou's band is speaking to a couple of people who've been around the block in the party for quite some time, they said they see her role as increasing the mandate and getting the party into government. So I think that's the focus for those guys. You think you might be interviewing Tonish to Mary MacDonald next Christmas? <laughs> Possibly. Um, I think it's more of a generational issue. I think that there are people over the age of 45 who will always have that baggage mm. with, with Sinn Féin when it comes to uh, their, their, their past connections, their connections with the, the troubles. And I think for the younger generation, there's a, there's a different...
kind of association with Sinn Féin, the, the proactive kind of grassroots mm. uh, part, party of housing kind of view, perception of them. But I think it's going to take... They do very well among people in the private rented sector as well. There's another mm. figure I saw from the poll. Which yeah, is, and I, I, th- I, I think it's going to take time. I don't think a change of leader is going to is going to have the mm. effect that people maybe people think. I think it's going to take much longer than that. Do you think that the, 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 the kind of um, negative factor for Sinn Féin, I think perhaps the political classes, you know, ourselves included, overestimate the past to a great extent that, you know, people are turned off Sinn Féin in the past. I think Simon's right. Anybody over the age of 45 is turned off Sinn Féin for that reason. But there are a cohort of voters who think that they are high-tax, you know, ultra-left party because Fine Gael and Fianna Fáil have done this twin track attack on them. One, you can't trust them because of the past. Two, their economic policy is completely bonkers. It's actually not that crazy. If you look at their pre-budget submission the last time, it's pretty straightforward. It's straightforward. Centre-left, social democratic. democratic. You could have put a red cover on it and be the Labour Party. But because I think that Mary Lou MacDonald has a task in not changing policy because they don't really need to change policy. They're not out there that much. They have abandoned stuff from corporation tax to opposition to the EU over a number of years. She needs to. They need convince, a strategic communications unit. Is that what you're saying? That words that effect. <laughs> they need to convince people that they're not going to, you know, crash the economy. Or you know, remember end the Kenny's line in the last election. You know, it'll, it'll cause an economic crash and this coalition of chaos straight from the Tory handbook. And I think Mary Lou Macdonald needs to explain that to people. Like you know, look, they are in fact a social democratic party. Really, they do have, of course a hard left tradition within it. There are people within the party who will be of that persuasion. But I don't think she is in that space. And she needs to firstly make her mark on the party and bring it around to that way. And then communicate to the public that, hey, you know, we're not going to really savage your pay packet every month. I think it's going to take a kind of more mature economic policy and a more mature um, economic plan, I think, for Sinn Féin to be taken seriously by a particular cohort mm-hmm. of voters. And I think that's again. But Fiuk is saying that's more or less there already. That it's just a question of uh, maybe co- conveying that. Yeah, I think or, that's. I think that's possibly it. It's possibly communicating it. And, like, there's nothing. Well, I'm. I don't think there's anything that they would have proposed in the last twelve months that the Labour Party could disagree with. But in my own view, maybe I'm just getting totally ahead of myself. That if they go into government, if you remember, Labour taking the Department of Finance in the mid '90s where Rory Quinn was so careful because he knew oh, this spectre of a left-wing politician in the Department of Finance. I think perhaps you could say Sinn, Fe- Sinn Féin taking a similar attack if they get into office in the next five, six, seven, eight years and convincing the public that we are responsible, we can be trusted with the Leavers' government. And Simon, thanks very much for joining me. Thank you. And that's it for this edition of Inside Politics. Thanks to our producer Declan Conlon and our engineer JJ Vernon. Remember that you can subscribe to us on iTunes or whatever your preferred podcast provider may be. And you can also find us at irishtimes.com slash podcasts. Your views are always very welcome and you can mail me at hlinehan at irishtimes.com or you can always find me on Twitter. But until the next time, goodbye and thanks very much indeed for listening.